Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Please take your Bible now and turn with me to the book of John, the 10th chapter, 10th chapter of John. Before we read the text, I'd like to introduce the message with a rehearsal of part of the biography of a man by the name of Richard Wormbrand. He was born in 1909 in Romania of Jewish descent. 29 years later, 1938, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. His wife, Sabina, came to Christ at essentially the same time. It was not long before he was ordained as a pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Romania. He began to preach the gospel during World War II in bunkers where Jewish people were hiding out because there was an attempt to purge Romania, as it was the case in many other European nations, of Jewish people, the final solution, as it was called. After the war, he continued to preach. He was preaching under adverse conditions during World War II, at least in the first part, under scrutiny by the Third Reich and Hitler's gang. But then things changed. We know that Romania became one of the Iron Curtain countries in Eastern Europe, and he said publicly in 1948 that communism and Christianity cannot coexist peacefully. He did not mean that there would be a war on the Christian's part against communism. He just said, you can't mix the two. That got him imprisoned, and for the better part of a decade, he was imprisoned. He was released and was out for a few years. Then he was imprisoned again for 13 more years. In the prime of his life, he was a man who was isolated. During one three-year stretch, now think about this for a moment, three entire years, he was held in solitary confinement. It was no normal solitary confinement. It was in a room 12 feet below the surface of the earth. There was no natural light allowed in, but at the same time, there was no artificial light. Three years alone in darkness. In fact, there was such an attempt to make life miserable and drive him into insanity as to have the guards who would bring food to him to put felt on the bottom of their shoes so that he couldn't even hear them walking. No conversation with any human being. The way he survived that time was he realized what time it was in terms of the day and the meals and everything and figured out when it was daytime on the outside and nighttime on the inside. And then the result was he switched his sleeping habits because those were the hours when the guards were involved and they were keeping watch over him. And so he would sleep during the day in the nighttime he would have his fellowship with the Lord. He heard from the Lord. He was a man who had 
learned to listen to the voice of God. He had memorized large sections of the Bible. And he was able, during that three-year period, to compose 350 sermons. That sounds pretty ominous to me as a preacher, okay? And he did it without paper or pen. Remember, he did it in the dark. And he memorized those sermons. He would preach them in the evening, quietly, but he knew no one would hear him in what he was doing. Amazing. When he was finally released, he was ransomed for $10,000 by people in the West. He made his way to the United States the rest of his life until he was almost 92. He served and started a ministry which now bears the name The Voice of the Martyrs, which is a voice that is badly needed in the world where Christians in the West are letting other Christians in the West who don't know about all the persecution and the killing that goes along with being a Christ follower in other parts of the world. Well, this man wrote a book about his time in solitary, with God in solitary confinement. And in that book, it makes me want to get the book, I just purchased the book, his autobiography, Tortured for Christ, and the title of that book is available to us today, and there are not all 350 messages, but many, to see the mind of God at work in a man like that. That is a man, isn't it? That's a real man to do what he did in the name of Christ. And that leads us to our passage of Scripture right out of the box here in verses 27 through 30 of John. We are introduced to traits of people who are true followers of Christ, true sheep. Jesus calls us His sheep. He calls us His flock. It's Jesus' favorite designation for His church, a flock. We know other parts of the Bible call the church the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, a building of Christ. We know that. But right out of the horse's mouth, Jesus says, we are His sheep. Notice what He says in verse 27 about you and me as sheep. My sheep hear My voice. This is the first thing that Jesus emphasizes for you and me to determine if we really are sheep of Christ. Do we hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ? And what we know about that voice, all of a sudden I'm thinking I don't have my notes, so this may be a short sermon. I found them. I know you're glad of that. But what we know about the voice of Jesus, it is identifiable by His sheep. He knows us by name. He says that earlier in the introduction to the book of John chapter 10. He knows us by name. We know His voice. Isn't it a great thing for the one through whom all things came into being? Nothing came into being without the cooperation of God the Son. And we are His sheep. In the book of John also, chapter 5 verse 39, if you want to jot that reference down, listen to what it says. These are the words of Jesus again. He said to a group of people who were antagonistic toward him, you search the scriptures diligently because you believe that in them you have eternal life. And these are they that testify about me. The scriptures testify. What is necessary to render a testimony? Words, if I'm not mistaken. And the words 
of Scripture give witness to the person of Jesus Christ. In the book of Exodus chapter 9, the Scripture talks about how God speaks to Moses. And He says, Moses, I want you to speak these words as if I were speaking them to Pharaoh. Moses obliged, did what God told him to do. And then when Paul is writing what we now know is Romans 9, lo and behold, the Apostle Paul quotes part of that message that was given to Moses to be delivered to Pharaoh, and he speaks of it a little differently. Remember, in Exodus 9, the Scripture says, God says, and then gives the message. In Romans 9, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the book of Exodus inspired the book of Romans, and it says, the Scripture says. When we read the Scripture, we have the capacity to hear the voice of God to us. Now, there are times when we sense God speaking to us when we're not reading the Bible. And we also sense God speaking to us when we're not even thinking about spiritual things. Sometimes God just speaks to us. And isn't that wonderful to have that kind of relationship? But what we always need to be sure of, that any so-called message I receive outside the reading of Scripture that contradicts the Scripture is not the voice of God. The devil is very subtle in the way he goes about. You know, the devil knows Scripture. Did you know that? He quoted Scripture during the temptation of Christ. Read about it in Matthew 4 or Luke 4. But we who know Him, this is one of the beautiful traits of a person who really knows Jesus, that you understand the Bible. If you do not understand, I'm not talking about all the Bible. I'm talking about the Bible. When you open it up, God does speak to you. Anybody besides me ever have that experience? It's not something which is limited to people who are pastors, by the way. Long before I was a pastor, I was taught to listen to God's Word with the expectation of hearing God speak to me. You can hear the voice of God. It may not be audible, but it is real nonetheless to you from the Word of God. And we as the sheep of Christ hear His voice. I heard about a man, in fact I received it in a text recently, and there are four frames in the text. There's a man, and he says, it seems like just to the ether, he says, I wish I could hear the Lord's voice. And then the second frame is a picture of a woman, probably his wife, and she says, read the Bible. And he says, no, I mean, I want to hear His voice out loud. And she said, read the Bible out loud, and you will hear the voice of the Lord. (laughs) Well, there's nothing wrong with that. When I read the Bible devotionally, I read it. I don't ever read it out loud. I just need to start reading it more out loud and hear the voice of the Lord. There was one time in my life out of all these many years of being a follower of Christ, that I believe I heard the voice of God speaking to me aloud. And it shook me up. It rattled my cage. At that time, I was a professing Christian, and I knew the Lord, but I was not walking with the Lord. I went to a church service in my home church at my mother's urging. I needed to get her off my back. I was about 19 probably, maybe 20 years of age. 
and I had my plan for my life. It was very well defined in my own mind. And there was a guest speaker there. I'll never forget his name. I didn't meet him. I was afraid if I met him, he would make matters worse. But his name, I remember Jack Hazelwood was his name. He was either a pastor or an evangelist or both from a church in Little Rock, Arkansas. He'd come to the church that I was a part of at the bequest of my pastor. Request, I should say. And at the end of the worship service, he was offering an, offer, uh, an altar call. And I was just sort of just waiting for it to be over so I could leave. I, I was trying to get out of there as quickly as I could. And all of a sudden, I had my eyes closed, and I was leaning over, and we had benches, and I had my hands on the bench like this. And all of a sudden, I heard, Mike, Mike. And I thought, what in the world? This guy didn't know me from Adam. But I really believe God spoke to my heart. And this is what he was getting after me about, getting right with him. I wasn't walking with him at that time. Getting right with him. And just this last week or two, I was thinking about that. And I realized most often when God spoke to an individual, it was always with the name of the individuals and twice. Have you ever thought about that? I had never thought about that. That goes back 50 years in my life. But he definitely got my attention and there was the beginning of a turnaround and deeper devotion to the Lord. Now, don't get the idea that if God's going to turn you around, you're going to hear his voice. I'm just telling you, that's one experience after of over half a century of experience with God. But it was a a, a cool time. I didn't like it at the first, but it's turned out okay over the years. In a book by a man named Helmut Tielica, Dr. Tielica was a professor of theology for many decades at the University of Hamburg in Germany. He was one of the greatest preachers of his era, era during World War II in Germany and beyond. And he wrote a preface to a book which was written by Charles Spurgeon. He took about 40, 50 pages to really critique Spurgeon in a positive way, this great British preacher, a man who only had a high school education. Here's a PhD at the highest level academically, and he says, this man is my favorite preacher of Christ. He went so far as to say in that introduction, sell all the other books you have and read Spurgeon. What a high recommendation from such a scholar. And I would say read Helmut Tielica if you can get some of his books. Tremendous man of God. But this is what he said. He said Spurgeon was a charismatic listener. When I first read that, I thought, is listening a gift of the Holy Spirit? I mean, I know the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and 1 Peter chapter 4, the gifts of Christ in Ephesians 4. I know all those, but I don't recall a gift of listening. What was he saying? He was saying that this man, Spurgeon, was a man who took seriously what Jesus says more than once. It occurs in the Gospels and also in the book of Revelation where he says, let him, would be her also, who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. When you and I open this book, 
and we come before the Lord and we say, speak to me. Some of you are scared to death to say that, I guarantee you. Because some of you need to hear from Him and it will cause an alteration in your life. And believe me, the devil doesn't want you to alter your life to be in line with Christ. He wants to steal what God has for you. How does Jesus describe the devil in John 10? What does He say? He says, the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He does not want us to know what Christ has for us. And we know what Christ has for us by hearing what He has to say. Do you have that kind of relationship with Christ? I'm not talking about a Mike-Mike relationship, okay? I'm talking about when you come to the Word, you sense the voice of Christ. It's His Word. We have the mind of Christ, the Bible says. And how does one express one's mind? By speaking, right? With words. And so we can read the Scripture, we can hear from the Lord, and He speaks to us. Come with expectation every time you come to the Word of God. Some days will be rather blah. At least that's been my experience. And what I mean by blah, it's I'm not hearing anything new necessarily. I'm not hearing anything that's just firing me up or really confronting me. But that doesn't matter. I'm going to do it the next day. I'm going to read where I left off and keep reading the whole counsel of God, not just your favorite passages. Let me say this, and I don't mean to be ugly. It may come across as being that way. But don't live off of somebody else's relationship to God. God wants a personal relationship with you. And that's not to say that we can't learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you relegate your exposure to God's voice by reading somebody else's experience with God, you're cheating yourself out of the opportunity to have that kind of relationship with the Lord. You probably will never write a book. I haven't. I don't intend to. But I have a relationship with Him, and it's due to His speaking to me and my giving Him my ear. Just what I'm here to listen. And if He doesn't speak, that's not my problem. It's His business when He wants to speak. I just need to be at the ready. So let's look at the next trait. Listen. If you get that one right, the others will fall into place. But there are four others that he speaks of. These are measurements by which you can tell if you are a sheep of Christ. I know them is the next thing. Now think about that. I know them. We know in John 17, 3, the Bible says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life, isn't it? Knowing Christ. We need to know. It's a relational word. The word know is not an intellectual knowledge. It's a relational word of knowledge. That's what it's about. And that's identically what Jesus uses here. When He says, I know them, it's talking about His desire for a relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? That He would want a relationship with us individually. I've already mentioned that He says here in this chapter, I know my sheep by name. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him or her and dine with him and or her. Jesus is depicted as knocking at our door. 
We know in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Jesus wants us to hear His knocking at the door. And as one of my professors in seminary taught us, He said, Jesus has a table for two reserved for you and Him so that you can come and listen to Him and hear His voice and He can encourage you and He can incite you and He can be the one who uses you in a way that will glorify Him and the Father. In the book of Isaiah 49, 18, the Bible says this, If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. I like that, don't you? The commands. Where do we get the commands? In God's Word, right? We get the words from the Lord, and then the result is our peace. And by the way, the word peace in the Hebrew language, you know this probably, is the word shalom. Sometimes we'll throw that word around, shalom, shalom, shalom. Really not fully understanding the impact of it. The word that we use for peace as Westerners is a word which has to do with the absence of conflict primarily. But the word shalom encompasses all that the Lord has that's best for us. That's what He wants for us. That's awesome to think about, isn't it? And what is the basis of that? If only you'd paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. That last part, for years, I just kind of ignored. I mean, I knew it was there. I memorized it. But I stopped with, your peace will be like a river. That's what I want. You want peace like a river? You want the best God has for you? Well, He has that for you too. But there's a link between my obeying the Lord, if only you'd paid attention to my commands, and your peace will be like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Many times when I'm counseling people, and they're having trouble in their lives in some way, and they can't seem to get over the hump of that problem that they're facing, people who profess to be Christ, Christians, fathers of Christ, I'll say, is there any area of your life when, where you are stiff-arming God? Have you not given Him your full attention and allegiance? Or is there some sin in your life that keeps cropping up and cropping up and you can't get victory over it? Well, that's where we have to begin to begin to clear the debris that is there because of our sin, because that blocks us from our walking with the Lord. And Jesus says here, people who are my sheep hear my voice. People who are sheep not only hear my voice, they obey me and I know them. Jesus says a very sobering thing in Matthew chapter 7 when He says, on that day, meaning the day that He comes back to judge the world, on that day there will be a group of people who is saying, Lord, Lord, right way of addressing Jesus, is it? Lord, Lord, didn't we do miracles in Your name? Didn't we cast out demons in Your name? Didn't we prophesy in Your name? And Jesus did not take exception to any of those questions. But He does say this, he says, depart from you, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Once Jesus knows you, He's never going to say, depart from me. We're going to see that in just a moment. But 
How do you know what lawlessness consists of? Where do you find it? In the Bible, right? The commands, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Being righteous is not being a stick in the mud. When you think about Jesus, the caricature that the world has always placed on Christians is they're old fuddy-duddies. They don't know how to have real fun. They can't have anything that's enjoyable in their lives. You know, I don't know what they do. They sit around reading the Bible all the time, which wouldn't be a bad thing, by the way. The Bible says, meditate on my word day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So there's a link between our meditating on God's word. We have to read it and think about it for that to happen. But in the course of a life, what I do know is this, that during a day, I can be doing something in the realm of administration in the church or doing something that has nothing to do with the Bible per se, but then when I need some help and I'm talking about something to somebody or a personal matter, I can have a conversation with the Lord at the same time, and I don't think I'm exceptional in that. I think all of us, if we learn to develop a conversational relationship with Christ, do you understand what I mean by that? It's like we listen in the morning when we set some time aside or in the evening. Sometime during the day we set that aside of time. And what that allows us is to take more of the mind of Christ in. And so as we go about our day, things that we heard today from the Lord or we heard some other time and we're thinking about an issue in our lives, then the Lord can speak to us in our heart while we're dealing with that problem and talking to other people about it. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. How do you do that? You're in a conversation with the Lord regularly. That command to pray without ceasing doesn't need any elaboration. It means what it says. And we get to know Christ and He knows us. Here's the third thing. Look at the text again. 27 of chapter 10 of John. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus' initial call to be a disciple of His and don't confuse the word disciple with apostle. The apostles were disciples but not every disciple became an apostle. There were only a handful of people who became apostles. The rest of us who know Jesus, we are by His own definition and by the Holy Spirit's definition, we are disciples. The word Christian occurs three times in the New Testament. That's all. Do you know how many times the word disciple occurs? And it's not used exclusively by any means for the apostles. It occurs over 260 times. We're having a discipleship conference next week. Christ wants us, He's called us to be His disciples. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, say no to yourself, in order that you might say yes to Him. Take up your cross daily, die to yourself. That's what that means. It's another way of saying denying yourself, basically. And the last thing is, follow me. The first two commands, deny and take up your cross are very definitive actions, one-time events. And then following Him is a present tense command. Keep on following Him. If we go to Colossians 3, 6, we read this, Just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And the word walk there, here again, it's a present tense command. Keep on walking with Him. 
The Christian life is to be a lifestyle. It's part and parcel of who we are as followers of Christ. So we've seen three things. Number one, we hear His voice because we listen for His voice. Number two, we are known by Him. That's most important. I want to be known by Jesus at the judgment, don't you? Absolutely. The third one we just seen is that we follow Him. It's our lifestyle. Look at the next thing. I give eternal life to them. I'm called on to preside over a lot of funerals. And it's a very sobering moment in the lives of loved ones and friends who come to a place where a person is remembered because we are faced with our own mortality. And we're caused to really evaluate our own position. Do we really know Christ? Knowing what we said earlier, we quoted it, I did at least from John 17, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Also in the book of John, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice that Jesus is the only way in our day and time. There is the broad spectrum viewpoint of how you know God and how you go to heaven. It's based on if you just are on some path, you're going to get there. I'm sorry. That's a big lie. There's only one way. Jesus is the way. And He has it on good authority, by the way, because He is the resurrection and the life. He is God. And He is the one who sets the ground rules for our being sure of our salvation. But He wants us to know for sure. This is what this text is about. We're going to get to the part about the assurance of our salvation in just a moment. But He says again, I give eternal life to them. Notice it's a gift. You and I could never do enough good things to get our way into heaven. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus says this, He says, be perfect as my Father in heaven, your Father in heaven is perfect. Would anybody venture to raise your hand today and say, Pastor, I'm perfect. Well, if your spouse is here and you're married, that can be undone in a hurry, let me tell you. None of us is perfect. None of us is perfect. There's only one perfect, and you know what He's done for us? He's made us perfect in God's sight. Because God the Father made Him the Son to become sin on our behalf in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Perfect in Christ. We can't fool ourselves. I've had a man more than one time say to me, Pastor, I've reached a place of sinless perfection. And I thought, okay, you've arrived. I haven't anything else to say to you. No, I, I really tried to help the individual I'm thinking of particularly at this moment. Not a member of our church, never been a member of our church. It goes way back. I don't know if he ever got it squared away. But he, was a, he had followed Jesus for a while, so I'm assuming he still is if he's still alive. He got his thinking right as he listened to the Lord more fully. But if I commit one sin, let's say that I could live my entire life, the Bible says in James 2, if I keep the whole law of God and only break one, I am guilty of having broken them all. It's a full piece of work that the law given by God has given to us. I was thinking of this and trying to think of some illustration. 
Let's say I was driving on I-10, rush hour in the morning, everybody's in a hurry, Monday morning, want to get to work, slept in a little bit, worn out from the weekend, I'm on my way, and so I'm driving 65. I know the speed limit's 60. And all of a sudden, this blur on my right side comes by. And I, I, my initial thought is, I hope the cops stop him. <laughs> and I, 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 I even prayed, Lord, get him, because he's going to kill somebody. And all of a sudden, in my rearview mirror, I see the light and said, Lord, you're answering this prayer quickly. Thank you. And the police car slows down. And the man is waving me to get off on the shoulder. <laughs> and so I get my wallet out, pull my license out, give it to the officer, say, officer, here's my license. He said, Mr. Woods, do you know what the speed limit is here? <sighs> yes, I do. It's 60. And Mr. Woods, do you know how fast you were going? Yes, I do. I cannot lie. It's the digital deal. I can't lie. 65. Well, why were you breaking the law? Do you know that's breaking the law, Mr. Woods? Yes. But did you see that guy who went by earlier? I, I guarantee you he was going at least 80 miles an hour. And he said, Mr. Woods, I'm not talking to that man. I'm talking to you. You broke the law. Are you aware of that? Yes, officer. I was barely going over the speed limit. I was less a danger, probably, to other drivers or pedestrians than he was. But it wasn't about him, was it? It's about me. Do you get the picture? Sin separates us from God, no matter how little compared to other people. We are fools, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, if we compare ourselves with one another. So we must not do that. Well, let's also think about eternal life. It begins the moment you come to know Jesus. This is why I say that. Jesus is the life, right? He is the embodiment of eternal life. Where does He dwell once we receive Christ? He comes to indwell us. And the book of John, one more time, chapter 5, once more, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, that's that listening thing, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, present possession. It's mine the moment that I trust Christ in inviting him into my life. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, I quoted the first half of it, now for the second half, he says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. What this means in a surplus form. And Jesus was not very impressed or enamored at all by wealth. He became poor deliberately. And when you look at the New Testament, He came for all men from the poorest to the richest. But Jesus tended to reach out to poor people because they knew they needed what He had. They needed forgiveness. They couldn't rely on their success or their status in the community, whether it was religious or secular. But they were not as likely to give their lives to Christ. Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to get in heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He made it very clear. 
But what Christ says when He says, I've given you abundant life, I just read this recently and was reminded of the idea of abundance in Italian. This is the only Italian word I know except ciao. And I'm not sure what ciao means, but I've heard it before. And it's the word, I'm going to have to look at it to pronounce it sort of right, abbondanza, which means abundantly. That's what it means, abundant. And there was a campaign of frozen pizza back in the day, Celeste frozen pizza. And Mama Celeste was the one who was the spokesperson, a real person. Her husband and she had owned a pizzeria and had several, and then they decided, hey, we're going a different direction. We're going to market our pizzas in frozen state. And abounding, this is the kind of word which means heavenly in the Italian language. It's just out of this world. Look, the kind of abundance Christ gives us is an abundance of peace. We've already looked at that. Peace like a what? River. It's also, as we're going to see in just a moment, a, an abundance of protection. We read from Psalm 27. How does it begin? The Lord is our light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? And the scripture goes on to say that the Lord hides us in a secret place in His tent. And that means in His tabernacle, His temple. We are protected by the Lord. Now, we have problems. In fact, I was thinking about this again recently, just recently, probably yesterday, that a person who knows Jesus Christ is likely to have more trouble in this life than the one who doesn't. Now, I can't say that with ultimate authority. But Satan is after me and after you. But he's not after somebody that's already in the fold as far as his group is concerned. But what we know is we have trouble, but the good news is the Lord causes all things to work together for good. And that's not just some placebo that God gives to us. It's the truth. It's the honest truth. So abundance. And the last thing, and we're through. He says here in verse 28, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. I love this. In the strongest possible way, Christ is saying, they shall not, never, no, not ever, perish. And no one shall snatch him out of my hand. Is Jesus Christ omnipotent, all-powerful? Absolutely. If that were not enough, look what he says in verse 29. My Father who has given them to me. Let me stop here just a moment. In John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives to me, we're like presents, believe it or not, from God the Father to Jesus for His completing His mission. He says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never throw away. Never. Jesus will never throw you away once you know Him He's gone to too much trouble and He loves you too much as does God the Father. And look what He goes on to say in 29. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We're in unison is what He's saying. We're together. I sure like the truth that I'm in Christ's hands. Ultimate security. And then if that's not enough, what does God the Father do? He comes and takes His hand and puts his hand on top of Christ's hand. That's a place to be. Amen? I wouldn't want to be in any other place. 
I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But by God's grace, it's His choosing to give it. That's the idea of grace. For by grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's not of works. You can work till you're blue in the face and go to hell. If you don't know Christ, you have to trust Christ and know Christ. This is a beautiful thought that our salvation will not be lost due to the rejection of God of us. He won't reject us. Nor will it be lost due to defection on my part. I can't get out of the hand of God. God has declared me righteous. He's not going to go back on His declaration. And I also will not lose my salvation by abduction. Christ went too far to deliver me, as Colossians says, chapter 1, rescue me from the domain of darkness. Who might be the ruler of that realm? The devil. So that I would come into the kingdom of light. Here again, all the work of the Lord. Uh, a German naval officer during World War II, there's a tendency for us to paint our enemies with a broad brush. There were men in the Navy and Army of Germany in World War II who were followers of Christ. One such man, Gerhard Falk was his name, wrote a letter to his wife. They had a lot of correspondence. His wife was understandably concerned about his future in a war where he was a commander of a ship. He said, if you should hear that our crews are sunk and none were saved, then do not weep. For the sea in which my body sinks is nothing but the hollow of my Savior's hand. That man knew Jesus Christ. He was one who heard the voice of Christ. He was one who followed Jesus. He was one who was known by Jesus. He was one who had everlasting life, eternal life, which began the moment he gave himself to Christ. Do you have eternal life? Well, if you know Jesus, you do. And if you don't know Him, you don't. It's very clear. He who has the Son has life, is what the Bible says. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Clear cut, isn't it? But then John goes on to say these words. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. What that simply means is you put your full trust in what Christ has done for you. And you don't lean on your own understanding. You don't lead, lean on your own goodness. You just say, Lord, I give my life to you. That's it. No, no limitations. Lord, I let go and let you. I pray that would be your hope today. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to give us a moment of silence. And if God has spoken to you, if Christ has spoken to you about your relationship, just tell Him, Lord, I want to know You. I don't want to hold anything from You. I want to give You my whole person. I'm tired, Lord, of faking it. I'm tired, Lord, of being half-hearted in my commitment. And I want to give you full control. I surrender to you today. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
If any of you would like to talk to Gus or me about that, or Pastor Sam, we'll be here to talk with you.